before we begin this morning, I want to thank my softball team for coming out. They are dearly the, the best friends I've ever had in my life. And I want to share with you real quick how dear they are. One of them walked in this morning and said, I know I'd go to your funeral, so I might as well hear you preach. <laughs> so I, I, I love these guys. Okay. If you have your laptop, your phone, your Kindle, whatever you keep your Bible on, or you have a real Bible, we're going to look at John chapter 3 today in just a few moments, okay? Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for the opportunity of being here with you, Lord, to hear this beautiful music, to be with friends, Father. Worship for just a few minutes, Lord, and this we pray. Amen. Optimus Prime, Bumblebee, Megatron. If you have no idea who I'm talking about, you do not have a 10-year-old grandson. <laughs> they are transformers. It's a toy. And it starts out like a car or a truck or some other thing, and you flip it, and you do all these type of things to it, and it turns into a robot. It has to do all those steps to be totally complete to do what it's supposed to do, fight crime. Today I want to take a few moments and talk to us, all of us here today, about how we can transform our lives totally to serve Jesus Christ too. There's various steps we need to take. Some of us do all the way, and some of us don't. This morning, we're going to read chapter John, uh, John chapter 3, but I want to share with you first about Nicodemus. He is a member of the Sanhedrin. He's a Pharisee. He's a very well-educated man. He's a very important man in the city of Jerusalem. And he wants to meet Jesus, he wants to talk to Jesus, and let's just see what happens in John chapter 3. And I'm going to put on my Santa Claus glasses. Okay. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. The question might be today is, why did Nicodemus come to see Jesus at night? Well, I believe it's very simple. He wanted to meet with Jesus, but he wanted to meet with Jesus on his terms. I'll come to Jesus on the terms that I want to have, not his. And we see G Nicodemus, he comes at night under the canopy of stars, the glow of the moon, and the shadows. Because he is terrified that someone might see him talking to Jesus, and he has his prestige he must uphold. So he sneaks around to meet Jesus at night. But unbeknownst to Nicodemus is this. As he's going through those shadows, seeing the stars, 
and the glow of the moon. He's talking to the creator of those stars and that moon. Without his knowledge, he's talking to the man who created the world. Right away, Nicodemus says in verse 2, he calls him rabbi, teacher. I know you're from God. You're doing marvelous things and miraculous things. And if you weren't from God, you couldn't do those things. Nicodemus believes that Jesus is special, yet he won't talk with Jesus unless it's on his terms. And he's not willing to say Jesus is anything more special than a man. He's not about to talk to Jesus when people are around because they may think he likes Jesus. We today know people that acknowledge Jesus, but only if no one else knows. We don't want to proclaim it to the world. We want to keep it secret. I believe Nicodemus at this time was a very smart man. To be a Pharisee, he would have had to memorize the first five books of the Old Testament, word for word, and other things to be a Pharisee and on the, on the council. And I think at this time when he talks to Jesus, he's being very sarcastic when he says, what, I go back to my mom's womb? That's sarcasm. And one verse comes to my mind about Nicodemus at this time. It's Galatians 6, 3, and it says, For if anyone considers himself to be something special when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Many times we think we're something really, really special, but we're not. Jesus then explains to Nicodemus what he's talking about, about being born again. But I don't know if you caught it. In verse 10, Jesus says, hey, in 21st vernacular, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel. Very important words here. You're a man that teaches the people of Israel. You teach the scriptures to them. You study the scriptures. You interpret them for them. And still, you don't understand what you're teaching. It's very important that we see that Nicodemus thinks he is so smart, but yet he still doesn't understand the scriptures that he's teaching. Jesus spells it out to Nicodemus. You got to be born again. Pretty simple. But Nicodemus says, that's not what I want. And the record we have is that he walked away. There was no other circumstances in his life for him to say, I don't want Jesus. He just decides on himself. Basically, he's, re- he's trying to reason this out, and he can't do it because it just doesn't fit in the mold that, he, mold that he wants to have. Nicodemus makes his decision about Jesus this time. You're from God. You do miraculous things but I'm not going to call you the Messiah. Just not going to do it. He has always decided his circumstances. I'm going to talk a minute or two about a man whose circumstances beyond his control help him transform his life too. The man I'm talking about you may have heard of, his name is Louis Zapparini. He was born in New York State to immigrant parents. And he moved to California when he was two years old. And because of being immigrants, and not speaking any English, Lou became almost a punching bag to the kids in the community. They beat him up all the time. They took his money. They treated him horribly. And so Louie, to get back at him, became a street brawler. He would find him back. He became a petty thief. The police labeled him a delinquent and said, you are on your way to jail. But Louie didn't care. He wanted revenge on people that were treating him poorly. One day his older brother came to him and said, look, Louie, 
You run away from the police all the time. Why don't you use that running skill for something special? Join the school track team. Louis reluctantly did that. He reluctantly he started out running cross country and 1,500 meters, and he became the state champion of California in cross country and 1,500 meters. He decided when he was 19 years old in 1936 to try out for the United States Olympic team. 1,500 meters. He had the fastest time of any high school student in the history of America at that time. When he got to New York City, he realized and found out there were other three other men there who were world-class athletes for 1,500 meters. And there was no way he would make the Olympic team. He went, well, and things were different 85 years ago in the Olympics. I'll just try the 5,000-meter race. First time in his life he ever ran the 5,000 meters at the Olympic trials, he won it. He was on the United States Olympic team in 1936. He went to Berlin with the team, got through the, the preliminaries, and they get a final race, 5,000 meters. They're there at the starting line. The gun goes off, and Louis starts running. He doesn't win the gold medal, the silver medal, or the bronze medal. He gets fifth place which is amazing. But in those 12 and a half laps of the 5,000 meter race, he runs a world record time of one of the laps at 56 seconds. He draws the attention of a man named Adolf Hitler. And Adolf Hitler says, Louis, you're that runner that runs so fast. Louis had an opportunity in his life what to do. I could be a thug, I could go to jail, I could do all these bad things, but he decided I'm gonna transform my life from that type of style to being a world-class athlete. Some of us need to do the same thing. We've got to look at our circumstances and decide that we're going to change what we're doing for the better cause of Christ. Now, we don't read a lot about Nicodemus, but we're going to look again one time at him in chapter 7 of John. And we're going to look at verses towards the end of the chapter. But let me set it up for you. The Pharisees and the council with the Sanhedrin are very upset at Jesus because Jesus is doing miraculous things. He's doing miracles. His teachings are fascinating to people. They're, they're really starting to like Jesus. They've got lots of followers. But the Pharisees don't like that because they want to be the ones in charge. And here's the thing that if when Rome conquered an area, they let the people have their own gods, small g, under the conditions that they didn't cause riots, they didn't cause problems, and the second their religion got out of hand, they would wipe them out. So the Pharisees and the council were terrified that if Jesus got too popular and the Roman authorities didn't like that, they'd all be slayed. They had to do something about this rabble-rouser, Jesus Christ, from Galilee. So they're at a meeting one day, and they send out the council guards to go arrest Jesus and bring him back to them to stand trial for the heresy and the misinformation he's teaching people. 45-49, chapter 7. Finally, the temple guards went back to this chief priest and Pharisees, who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? 
No one ever spoke this way. This man does, the guards declared. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Has any of the rulers or the, of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but the mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Those are pretty neat verses. Can you imagine sending out people to bring a man back to arrest him for, for teaching heresy? And the guards come back and say, basically, oh, man, we love the way he preaches. It's great. No one's ever done that before. We love him. And the Pharisees, they really don't like that at all. They pretty much chastise the guards. But what do they do? They claim that the people are ignorant out in the streets. Then they even curse them. But here's the key right here for, I think, today, for this, this part of the chapter. Has any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? They're mocking people who believe in Jesus. We are the learned ones. We are the ones that know everything. We're so smart, we're not going to believe in Jesus. You guys are ignorant. Because you're so ignorant, we're going to curse you for following this man. Their egos are a little out of control here. But in this meeting, a man who went to meet Jesus at night under the canopy of stars in the glow of that moon, Nicodemus, is sitting there. He's remembering, I met with Jesus. I was pretty impressed. He has some good things to say. He is from God. Nicodemus is starting to be transformed from someone who just thinks Jesus is somebody special to a follower of Jesus. And we see it in these verses, these next following verses. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, and who was one of their own numbered, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. And in some translation it says, Nothing good comes out of Galilee. It really does, okay? All Nicodemus is doing is asking a question. Remember, they just announced these people don't know the law. And Nicodemus is saying, hey, the law says we have to bring them in here for a trial before we can condemn them. They're not even following their own rules. Nicodemus could have chosen to be silent that night. He could have said nothing, let it go on. But I think right here, Nicodemus is thinking to himself, this is an innocent man. This is the Messiah. And we can't do anything to him without truly going through the law. But you see, what we, did you hear what we read? Immediately, his fellow Pharisees attacked him. They accused of Nicodemus from being in the same despicable place that Jesus was from, Galilee. Nothing good comes from from. Galilee. That'd be like saying something like this. Uh, nothing, good comes, nothing good comes from out of California. Okay? Or some other place. When we were in Oklahoma, we'd say Arkansas. It's the insult of insults of doing to Nicodemus. But what's amazing is when Nicodemus asks that question, they don't answer it. 
They answer it back with a question. Why can't they answer that question? Because they know they're wrong. The law specifically states he, he gets the opportunity to have a trial. And I think if they would have said yes, they would have had to admit somewhat that Jesus was something really special. And they couldn't do that. But you know what? Right there, the meeting ended. It says in verse 53, they each went to his own home. It was over. The opportunity they thought they had of bringing Jesus in to, to try him and maybe even try to kill him, it was gone. Nicodemus shut it down. So let's just let's think about a possibility that night when some of the Pharisees are home and they're thinking to themselves, what did Nicodemus do? Why did he stand up for Jesus? What is wrong with him? And you know, sadly, there's a lot of times we who call ourselves Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, we don't stand up for Jesus either when he's being attacked. We just stay quiet. But Nicodemus showed a lot of braveness that day when he stood up for Jesus. And we can also imagine Nicodemus is home thinking, what did I say? I could have lost my position in the Sanhedrin. I could lose my money. I could lose everything I had because I stood up for that guy. What was I thinking? And then we think, you know what? He goes, I did what was right. There's times in our lives, too, we have to go against the crowd and do what's right and say, yes, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Don't let people attack the church. Don't let people attack Jesus. Stand up and do what's right. There are times that the transformation from a non-believer to a believer takes a time, a while. There's times when a person is a believer and it takes a transformation time to become fully sold out to Christ too. Most people, it doesn't happen just like that. It doesn't. Let's go back and see what's happened to Louis. Okay? In September 1941, with war clouds amassing throughout the world. Louis enlists in the United States Army Air Force. He's commissioned as second lieutenant, and he's assigned uh, to be a bombardier on a B-24. He immediately, in, in the 1942-43, he goes out to the Southwest Pacific, and he's, his plane is bombing islands that the Japanese are controlling. On one of his missions, Three Japanese Zeros jumped his bomber coming from out of the sun. And if, you, if you're a pilot, you know what I'm talking about right there, how they, they attack him coming out of the sun. His plane also got attacked by any aircraft fire. During that mission, three men on Louis's plane were killed. Two men, Louis saved their lives by stopping the blow of flood and administering first aid to them. When they got back to their base, their ground crew started counting holes in the fuselage of their B-24. They counted 592 holes in that fuselage. The plane was useless. So the remaining members of his crew were flown to Hawaii for some R&R. During their time of R&R, 
the remaining crew that Louis had and the new members were ordered to take a plane out and look for another plane that had gone down in the ocean, basically a search and rescue. And all the men groaned because they were assigned a plane called the Green Hornet. The Green Hornet had a reputation of being jinxed. They couldn't get the engines to work. They, it just, every time it flew, it had problems. But the commander said, that's the only plane we have available. You take it out there and look. And they gave him the direction to go. Sadly, while they were on that reconnaissance to search and rescue, the plane developed engine trouble and it crashed in the Pacific Ocean. Three men survived that crash, Louie and two other men. They found a raft, and for the next 47 days, they were at the mercy of the currents of the Pacific Ocean. And during that time, sadly, one of the men died. Louie, who had never believed in God, cried out to a God that he did not believe existed, but said, God, if you're out there, I need help. I hope we, we can listen here. See how God takes care of a man that doesn't even believe in his existence right now. At the 47th day, the surviving member in Louis looked over the raft and they saw an island. And they saw natives in a canoe paddling out to get them. And they thought, oh, we're saved. We're saved. When they got out to the island, they found out it was occupied by the Japanese army. They were POWs. During interrogation, this is a miracle here. During interrogation, one of the lowly guards heard the name Louis Zamperini. And he asked him, were you the Olympian in 1936? in Berlin, ran the 5,000 meters. Ask yourself, what are the odds of that happening? In the 1930s and 40s, Japan's number one sport was track and field. Since Louis was an Olympian hero, he was put on a ship and taken back to J mainland Japan to serve out the war as a POW. Records indicate and have been proven that every American POW, every allied POW on that island where Louis and his crewmate landed was executed by the Japanese. The only man to get off that island was Louis Zamperini. For the next two years, Louis endured the horrors of a POW camp. And if you recall from history, the Japanese we're taught the worst thing you can do is surrender. It's better to die than surrender. So they treated the POWs horribly. There was one guard that they nicknamed the bird. And every day he made it his mission to beat Louis as hard as he could, to give him less food, to make sure he couldn't make his work quarters to get more food. Louis said, what kept me alive was I hated that man so much, my revenge would be to come back to Japan after the war and kill him. And Louis in desperation said, God, if you're out there, if you're out there, I don't know if you're out there or not, but help me. Circumstances beyond his control, 
We're showing him that God is out there, that God is real, that God wants to be part of our life. We know God is working. He survived the plane crash. He got off the island. And in 1945, he was liberated from his POW camp and went back to California. He married his sweetheart, got a job, started a career. He had a terrible time readjusting to civilian life, and we now know that's PTSD, but 1945, 46, 47, they didn't know that stuff. He was successful in his businesses, and every single time his company was successful and he had the money to fly back to Japan, it went bankrupt. Or a, or, a, or a co-worker, a co-owner, stole all the money. He didn't get to go to Japan. He was still wanting to kill the guards. He was so full of hate. He was out of control. It was affecting his marriage. He became an alcoholic. He was addicted to pornography. Anything that could be bad in his life, he was doing it. His wife stuck with him. And on one hot summer night she walked in the house and said Louie, Louie you've got to go hear this guy preach he's wonderful Louie used some very nice words to his wife found a bottle of alcohol consumed it and that night he was tormented by his demons one more time we look at two men here today Nicodemus and Louis Zapparini. <coughs> I'm sorry. They're searching for an answer to, to God, but from different ways. And, and there are different ways to seek the one true Savior, Jesus Christ. We come to it different ways. Nicodemus is saying, is Jesus the Messiah? I just can't reason this out. All the signs are there. I just can't make that last connection. Louis Zamperini is saying, if there is a God out there, why am I so angry and why did I have so much suffering during the war? Those are very they're valid questions. They truly are. And in John 19, we read about Nicodemus one last time. Jesus has been put to death. He has died. He's hanging on the cross. Later, Joseph Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. When Pilate, with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. And some Bibles say 100. Okay, if you have 100, it does say that. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was, a, this was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. Jesus had been crucified, we just mentioned. And there were only two men of all the followers Jesus had that asked for Jesus' body to pair properly by Jewish law, Jewish customs, before sundown came. Joseph Arimathea, how is he mentioned in the Bible? He was a secret admirer because he was afraid of the Jews. 
At this time, the Jews really didn't consider following Jesus anything but for Jews. Gentiles cannot do that. And Nicodemus, this old boy, he stood up for Jesus at the council. He's still known as the guy that came at night. But what's so crucial right here is this. At this time, they decided I will no longer be a secret admirer of Jesus. I'm coming out publicly. And I'm going to profess that Jesus is my Lord. Here's a question I want to ask you today. Where were his 11 disciples? We know Jesus committed suicide already. Where were the 11 men who spent three years every day with Jesus? They saw his miracles. They heard his teachings. They had time with him when no one else did. Six days earlier, they saw the processional of Jesus coming to Jerusalem where people put palm fronds on the ground and Jesus was riding on a donkey and never met him before. They were praising Jesus, Hosanna. And six days later, they vamoosed. When it got tough, they were gone. But two secret admirers, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus said, I will stand firm right now. I will take my faith in Jesus publicly. There was no going back. At this time, it's believed that Nicodemus was still on the council, but he, he lost it immediately, and he became a disciple of Christ. We don't even know what happened to him after this, but there's was, was rumor that he died a martyr, but we don't know for sure. But let's find out what happened to Louis. Louis got tired of his wife nagging about going to hearing this guy preach. And he said, okay, I will go. Because the last thing he wanted to do was go down to Los Angeles, sit under a hot tent in the middle of summer, and hear some holy roller tell him how bad a person he is. He didn't want to do that. But on that night, for the first time in Louis's life, he heard the love of Jesus Christ. How Jesus had died for his sins. How Jesus loved him. Jesus accepted his sins on that day so many years ago. Lou was so enamored, he went back the second night to hear that young, radical preacher again, Billy Graham. It was Billy Graham's first Ten Crusade. On that second night, Lou's transformation was complete. Talked to a counselor after the service, confessed to his sins, asked Jesus Christ to be his personal savior. He went home that night, threw away all his temptations, and got on his knees and prayed, and God, help me get rid of my demons. And I'm not talking about spirit demons here, I'm talking about all the things that happened in his life, he had to get it out. It took a time, but Louis eventually was able to sleep, keep a job, and rekindle his marriage. He started going around California telling people how Jesus had transformed his life. How he said, Jesus is the hope that once you confess your sins, you have a good life. and transform into a good person. He was so good that Billy Graham hired him to do revivals for him around the country before Billy Graham got there. His life was totally, totally transformed. He got to go back to Japan a couple of times. Every time he went back to Japan, 
he went and found some of his former prison guards. And through a translator, he told them, I forgive you for the way you treated me. And remember, in Japanese society, you can't lose face. And then he went on and explained to them how Jesus had died for them. And all this. And he said, yes, I know when I was in camp, I wasn't a good man. But Jesus has transformed my life. And many of the guards have a Christ too. You see, for Louis, he had circumstances beyond his control. World War II, a plane crash, ships peeled over camp before he came to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We've heard of two men today transforming from non-believers to full-fledged, totally changed men. Again, Nicodemus finally rationalized his decision that, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. Louis, through the circumstances, he saw God saving his life through the mission where his plane had 592 holes in the fuselage to the crash, to 47 days in a raft, to being saved off that island where everybody else was killed, to live through the BOW camp in, in, in Japan, to survive being an alcoholic and addicted to pornography. He saw God working in his life even though he didn't believe in God at that time. He knew he needed to change. Freedom Fellowship, we're under a time of transformation too. We have a new pastor. We have some new leadership. We have a new idea how to reach people for Christ. But we need every member who's a freedom at Freedom Fellowship to totally transform our lives too to totally following Christ so we can turn this church into a place that's on fire for Christ. We've got to do that. There are three stages of transformation, and I'm going to do it in the first person. I think you are from God, but I can't be sure. Secondly, I'm willing to take Jesus seriously, but not proclaim him. Thirdly, I am proclaiming Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to pray in just a moment today. But the question I have for everyone here today is, where are you in those three questions? Where are you? Father, we come to you this morning. Father, even though it's a brief moment of time, we're grateful for the opportunity to share the word, to sing the fellowship, Lord. We're grateful for a country where we come and do that freely. But Father, I'll lift up everyone in this room today, the one who has not known the salvation of Jesus Christ, that they will come to that knowledge, Father. In your name we pray. Brother Steve's going to play for just a minute.